warrior, thief, conqueror, king, Conan. Let us take the world by the throat and make it give us what we desire. Conan the Barbarian. Rated R. Welcome to Podcast Action Hero, the show that will grant you revenge, and if you do not listen, then to hell with you. Get to the chopper! I want to ask you a bunch of questions. Hey, Christmas tree! And I want to have them answered immediately. I'm not a pervert! You son of a bitch! My neighbors are very sensitive. Get your ass to Mars. I'm not shooting on you. Fuck you, asshole. Hi everyone, I'm Gavin. I'm Jamie. And this is the podcast where we basically talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger films for an hour. And in today's episode, we are talking about 1982's Conan the Barbarian. Jamie. Hello. What is your history with this film? Everyone, all together, my history started last week. (laughs) I've got it on DVD. Somehow I never watched it. I don't know how. It's a classic. It is a classic. How do you get to like this point having never seen it, but you still own it on DVD? How long have you had it on DVD? At least 10 years. <laughs> it's in a box set. I got it in a box set with Terminator, Predator and Commando. And I've seen the other three countless times. Just never watched this one. Anything that put you off watching it? Um, I think maybe I started watching it one time and just gave up because I was not paying attention. I don't know. So this is another case of, I mean, this is almost every episode, isn't it, that we've had the uh, the similar sort of opening conversation, which hey, is... I, I can't determine what the Wheel of Pain is going to bring. At some point, it's going to hit what I've seen. It's bound to. <laughs> yeah, but it seems like, you know, throw a stone in a direction, we're going to hit a Schwarzenegger film that you've never seen. Yeah. <laughs> I got no response. That's fine. I'm attacking you. It's, uh, it's it's not fair this early into the episode. So let me counterattack. What's your history with this film? Well, really, really good question. I have seen it, and I think I've seen it more than once prior to watching it earlier this week uh, as preparation for the show. I don't remember the last time that I watched it. One thing I do know is that some of my memories are mixed of this one, where I'm pretty sure some of them were definitely Conan the Barbarian but some of them could potentially have been the sequel, Conan the Destroyer, or even the unrelated yet extremely similar uh, Red Sonja movie. So I've seen all three of them at some point, and it's been a long, long time. But when I was watching this, it was one of those films where as every single scene came up, I was like, oh, yep, yep, now I remember. Now this all seems really familiar to me as well. I think the only thing I remembered is James Earl Jones's hair, which, if you've seen that once, you don't forget it. It's a proper lockdown haircut he's got, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely did that one himself. <laughs> Shall I um, attempt a synopsis of this? Yeah, please do. I'm going to be freestyling this because I've not written any notes. Let's see how much I can remember. Go for it. So Conan is a Cimmerian. Why do you say it like that? What? Conan. Is it not Conan? Conan. Really? I guess. Okay, right, let's start again. <laughs> so, Kunan <laughs> is a Sumerian who, whose village, when he was a kid, was destroyed by Fulsa Doom, who is James Earl Jones' character, who's like a, an ancient warlord. Immortal, from what I can gather. Mm-hmm. Everybody in his village is killed, except for him, 
and he is enslaved and essentially grows into adulthood whilst in enslavement and pushing the Wheel of Pain. Hey! Hey! He made an appearance. He's then freed after becoming a kind of a gladiatorial champion and just goes on a long revenge story. Mm-hmm. Recovers his father's sword, recruits some allies, rescues the daughter of a rival, I don't know if it's a warlord or a king, played by Max von Sydow. Mm-hmm. And we basically end the film with him taking the fight to Thulsa Doom, decapitating him on the steps of his own temple. And uh, we get a kind of a coda that says he's the king in the future. It definitely seems like it's setting up for a sequel, or talking about the possibility of a sequel, that it has zero confidence is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of talks like, and then he was the king eventually, and he reigned over his empire for however long. And then, obviously, this film was like really, really successful, which ultimately ended up with it spinning off at least one sequel. But did you read that um, the original plan was for that scene, that kind of coda at the end, hmm. was for that to have been at the beginning of the film? Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Arnold didn't narrate the ending thing about what happened to Conan himself, right? That was just the voiceover from Mako? Is it Mako or Mako? Mako, Mako, yeah, I'm not too sure about the pronunciation, but the uh, the same voiceover that was all the way through it, I think. Because originally it was going to be Arnold narrating his own preview saying, oh, I'm going to be king. I just can't wait to be king. <laughs> I've not seen The Lion King either, but I know that quote. <laughs> and moving it to the end was a compromise because everyone was like, they didn't want to scare people off with his accent right at the start. As though there was going to be walkouts in the first 30 seconds because of the strong Austrian accent. Yeah, apparently so. Apparently, you know, they just weren't going to have it. All right, so let's get into it then. Uh, so Conan the Barbarian, quite a long film, uh, t- just over two hours long. But I don't know about you, Jamie, I didn't really notice the uh, the time on it. It didn't really feel like it lagged at any point. How about you? Now, there's been a few times where I've checked the remaining runtime when we've been doing this podcast. Um, Jingle All The Way mm-hmm. was one of them. The Iron Mask, I was checking that every five <laughs> seconds. This one, never once. It's not a fast-paced film. It's pretty sedate in yeah. places, but it holds your interest because, for one thing, it's a stunningly gorgeous-looking film. Absolutely. Yeah, The I mean, you mentioned Jingle All The Way. Was it 40 minutes into it? Both you and I were looking <laughs> to see, like, oh, this has got to be wrapping yeah, up. Yeah, pretty soon, much, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'd seen this a long time ago, and my expectations of re-watching it weren't necessarily that high. I remembered liking it and enjoying it, but I was pleasantly surprised, and I don't think when I watched it, this as a, as a younger person that I really appreciated, to your point, actually how well shot this thing is. I think uh, the Conan films, uh, the second one in particular, have got like a bit of a reputation for being cheap and a bit cheesy and uh, and a bit campy. I, I didn't think it was I got the feeling all. that it's got a reputation off the back of imitators, because... Mm-hmm. The 80s was full of this kind of thing. You know, there was like Beastmaster and Cole the Conqueror and... Um, like Lady C- Hawk Crow, was one of them. Lady yeah. Hawk, yeah. All that kind of stuff, which, you know, I quite liked a lot of them, but there were cheaper versions trying to make something like this. And this has got the pedigree of being based on an existing character with like a, a whole heap of like... I wouldn't call it respectability necessarily because it was pulp, wasn't it? Which isn't exactly mm. respected, but... I feel like trying to make something up out of whole cloth with a limited budget, you're always going to run up against problems as opposed to 
this probably didn't have the largest budget, but it had a pedigree and it had a bankable star and it had Oliver Stone writing it. <laughs> it's got to be an early uh, attempt for him, hasn't it? Something you said then really caught my attention, which was when we're talking about the pay limitators through the uh, 80s, and you said that you quite liked a few of them, because going into this, you were saying that you weren't a huge fan of fantasy, and that was going to be kind of a concern yep. watching this film. So what happened there? What, where did, when did you go from sort of liking some of the, uh, the, the weird fantasy stuff out of the 80s to really just not engaging with fantasy? I think this as a starting point for a certain type of fantasy is something that I can deal with. It's fine. But I think Lord of the Rings almost ruined it for me. Yeah. Because while I quite liked those films, everything that's come afterwards has basically been Lord of the Rings, but something or other. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any subversion going on. And there wasn't back then, but it's just like there's these kind of markers. And I think this is a better marker as a way to expand on something. Should we get into this in a bit more detail then? Uh, so the film, when it started, it opened up with a Nietzsche quote. Yeah. And there's just something about when a film opens up with like a Nietzsche quote or any kind of like philosophical quote, especially when it's got no context at all. Like it's not set in the same universe as Nietzsche. It's not set in the same time as Nietzsche, but it's kind of like, I wonder if this is like the one thing left over from Oliver Stone being coked up, which is <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be super edgy and I'm going to drop a Nietzsche quote. Into the start, into the start of this film, I just felt like a massive sigh. It's definitely a thing that someone in their student film would do, thinking yeah. you were being super clever, and then look back on it in ten years and go, "Oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> I thought I was so deep when I did that. <laughs> I just read my first book." Uh, one thing that I liked about this, like straight away, then it cut from the Nietzsche quote to uh, a young. Conan speaking to his father and his father's talking about the like the riddle of steel and all those kind of things and I remember watching this and thinking like I admire the attempt of using blue screen or green screen mm-hmm. at this point with the, uh, with the with like the sky moving in the background but it was a uh, it was a bit of a fall flat on that one I think it wasn't great but it's also one of the only times they use effects they're very sparing mm-hmm. you know it's 1982 so it's still in its infancy, even as optical effects rather than CG, you know. They were clever enough to not rely on it. There's something you mentioned a few minutes ago about how beautiful this film looked. And uh, I, I don't know if you spotted, I didn't really catch what the uh, the budget was, but it didn't look cheap. But I think they were smart about how they used their budget in this one. Because, every, you know, other than the, the odd kind of... Um, you know, visual effect, you know, the spirits when Conan was in his kind of coma, he was sort of dying. Uh, it really reminded me of some of the effects that they used a few years later in Highlander, where it's sort of like animated over, yeah. you know, on the top of it. Do you know what I mean? Because they use a similar thing with like some of the spirits of the quickening or whatever they call it in that. Yeah. Uh, so I think they were dead smart in regards to, they kept the visual effects to, to the minimum and everything else seems to be like in shot. And so I think you pointed out when we were watching it, the scenery, the uh, the sets uh, that were built, like the temple, mm-hmm. I thought, especially the temple at the end, looked incredible. It was a full set as well. They built that whole thing. It wasn't on top of an existing structure. I bet. It looked amazing. When I say they were being smart as well, 
a heck of a lot of this film was then basically riding across desert landscapes. Yeah. You know, I looked it up just as we were watching it. And so it was uh, Andalusia in, uh, you know, basically in the south of Spain. And it was a similar sort of areas, uh, as best I recall, that they used for like the spaghetti westerns as well mm-hmm. to get that kind of like really desert landscape. Admittedly, there was like the dodgy sort of blue screen at the start. But yeah, to your point, they kind of got that out of the way and then for the most part stuck to practical in-shot cinematography that just looked amazing. Do you remember what Conan's dad was telling him, though? Because he is not a good dad. Go on. He basically explains that Crom is their god, but then also says you can't trust anybody. You can't trust people. You can't trust (laughs) beasts. All you can trust is steel. And then shows him his sword. Is that the way to raise a kid, just say, don't trust anybody. My instinct would be, actually, no, that's not a great way to raise somebody. And I certainly wouldn't recommend raising a, a child in that way uh, in today's world. But what you've got to bear in mind is that he tells him that story. And then in the very next scene, marauders arrive in Conan's village and kill everyone. So why didn't they just engage them in the marketplace of ideas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has proved right Pretty much immediately. It's just that whole thing of... He would have been mentally scarred if he hadn't been psychologically scarred immediately afterwards anyway. Yeah, definitely. That's my point. Yeah, so immediately he's like, his entire village is, is killed. His father gets an axe in the back and then he's like eaten alive by dogs. Dogs wearing clothes. Dogs wearing clothes as well because, you know, dress up for a special occasion, I guess. <laughs> it's a Sunday. And then his, Conan's mum tries her best to sort of uh, protect... So this is also where we meet James Earl Jones for the first time, or where we see his like his excellent lockdown haircut, and uh, and he comes with the sword raised, but then he, he puts his sword down right, like he's not going to strike, and then he just kind of looks at Conan's mum in the eyes, and then yeah, for for ages, yeah, and then she sort of like lowers her sword as if she's like transfixed. I guess the idea is this is like his snake powers coming into effect, isn't it? I, it was the impression oh, that I got. Oh, I didn't put that together. He enchants her with his, like, he hypnotises her to basically lower her sword. And then he pulls the old double cross and, and looks like he's going to walk away, but then spins around, and then you basically just see her head fall off. So Conan's holding his mother's hand, which he loses grip of when his mother falls, and then he's just, like, staring at his own hand, where his mother's hand used to be for what seems like a long time. And I think you mentioned this at the time where there's a lot of lingering shots in this film. So maybe it didn't have to be a two hour, five minute runtime, whatever it was. They make a lot of choices that I don't think anyone would make today. There's like a patience to this film where you're like, it's immersive and you're supposed to like live in it. Oh, yeah. And there's no patience for that kind of thing in, in movies anymore. It's like, I reckon the longest shot in an action film today would be about the same as their shortest shot in this film. Yeah, the pacing of this film would be absolutely mind-numbing for a, for a modern audience, I should say. Anybody coming into this who's used to watching, like, I don't know, Avengers, or again, even like Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or something like that, they are so much more fast-paced and fast-cut. Those lingering shots, what it reminded me of was a uh, an interview with uh, the director, John Carpenter, and he talks about in Halloween, which was, of course, his like, real breakout film, the, the film that really made his name, there's loads of times in that where he'll have a character walk off screen and then the shot will linger with like a really long drawn out note. And the perception was that these shots were there, they were drawn out to create suspense and tension. 
But if you want, if you listen to the interviews with John Carpenter, we're saying no, no, he had to basically get it to a certain runtime. <laughs> yeah, because it's not feature length unless it's like eighty-three minutes or something like that. Exactly. So we just got all these long lingering shots that are in there deliberately just to get it to that feature length runtime. And it and some of the shots in Conan, they felt like that as well, but they'd met that quota or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. way, way, way early in the film. And yet they carried on with some of those longer shots. Yeah, I think that's because it comes from the the school of Lawrence of Arabia. It, it's almost got a Lawrence of Arabia kind of feel to it in mm. places. You know, the landscape, God, I'm going to say something that sounds really douchey, but the landscape is a character. (laughs) They're not giving short shrift to the environments. And if a guy is going on a journey of revenge and he meets only a handful of people throughout the entire film, then you've got to make a feature of the terrain that he's traveling and you know make it obvious that this is like you know if you if you can't see a settlement in the distance and he's walking along this long this big plane or whatever you know that's a long way to walk Mm -hmm. so immediately that's a bit of storytelling you know just by showing a long shot of him doing that that's one thing i thought of when we were watching it early this week was the tone they seemed to be going for was of the hollywood golden era epic i was thinking things like ben hur lawrence of arabia you know very much like you mentioned Jason and the Argonauts, those kind of things. It, right, it, it yeah. really felt like they were going for that kind of scope and that kind of scale with it as well. Mixed in with Frazetta, heavy metal, fantasy, kind of like the high fantasy paintings, you know. Oh, yeah. I suppose low fantasy, really. And again, I think this is one of the reasons, I think I touched on this earlier, that I was a little bit surprised by that going into it is because I can imagine like Arnold coming in with this huge scale film like so early in uh, in his career again this is 1982 so it predates terminator which was his right. his big sort of breakout role right and then he goes like towards the 80s with some almost like really low budget films which i think maybe to it to his loss a little bit so he gets a reputation for these like low budget cheesy action films which again my concern is that it will put people off watching something like Conan because they're expecting it to be low budget and cheesy and it's just not it's really good this isn't canon films yeah. this isn't two guys just slapping together a script and sending someone out and having it all finished in six months there's some art here it's not masters of the universe don't you dare say anything <laughs> about massive universe we don't say goodbye we say we good say journey. journey. <laughs> <laughs> I love that film so much. So yeah, we've we've got Arnold's entire family, which is basically just his mum and dad. Uh, his entire village are, uh, are murdered, apart from maybe the kids. Did they did they kidnap more kids from that place, or did they just pick those kids up? When I was doing the synopsis, I I had forgotten whether or not the kids survived. I think the kids maybe did survive mm. because I theorized later on that. A bunch of adults that he ran into called the Children of Doom. Yeah. I thought it was going to be revealed that they were the kids from his village. Right. And they may well have been, but we weren't told that. Yeah. Because there's a lot in this film that you just have to infer. Yeah, definitely. There's maybe an opportunity there to, uh, you know, for for somebody to branch out on it. But that, that particular thread didn't necessarily go anywhere. As you mentioned... In your synopsis at the start, uh, Arnold's sort of captured, is taken away. He's immediately, you know, as a child, handcuffed or shackled to this huge... It's like a mill, isn't it? It's a huge wooden wheel that they're turning. From the limited research I did way before we even started doing this, just on my own sort of like reading, is that it is like a grain mill, essentially, and it's cranking out food, essentially, for the soldiers in this particular area. 
And then we have kind of like a, a slow fade montage over time where he's getting older and bigger and stronger. And I mean, I guess maybe this is just a, a bit of a, a precursor to CrossFit. Just pop down the gym for 10 years and turn up. The only thing we saw him doing in this time through rain and snow and, and heat was him turning this wheel. But we are at least led to believe that he gained his Mr. Olympia, Mr. Universe physique simply by pushing this wheel around in a circle. If you were pushing something around in a circle, do you think you'd have like one arm and one leg bigger than the other? Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Like those professional arm wrestlers that you see who've got like one massive arm. <laughs> one like Popeye and one like olive oil. So over the space of a couple of minutes, we see uh, this young boy transform eventually into... Arnold, as we know him, he becomes Conan with his exactly the same haircut, as best I could tell, that he's had uh, since he was a child. Uh, but he's now this huge, massive, definitely the model for He-Man, definitely the model for uh, the Masters of the Universe. And and as you mentioned, your synopsis, he then goes off and he becomes like this gladiator, right? He's He starts off and we see in a very, very short space of time in like a montage where he, he, become, he starts off quite timid and shy. And then he becomes this champion where he, he first of all sort of fights for his life. He nearly gets his throat ripped out by this guy yeah. who's just biting him for some reason. Yeah, biting him and then leaning on him. That's his entire fighting style. <laughs> exactly. Conan smashes his brains out on the wall and then we just see him really quickly getting a taste for murder. As we've pointed out in previous episodes, happens really quickly in a lot of Arnold's films. In this case, it makes sense though, as opposed to like the sixth day where he just suddenly goes, you know what, I'm going to kill people. One of my favourite bits was, has it aged well? It probably hasn't, I don't know. But there's a part when he starts to be recognised and celebrated, he's still kept in a cage before he's ultimately freed. But then they start bringing women to him, right? And so they bring this like young woman, and at first he's 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 like actually trying to protect her, and he and she's she's nude, and he's trying to cover up and protect her, and then he kind of gets a little bit of smirk on his face, yeah, and then takes the blanket away again and realize and decides actually no, that's not who I'm going to be tonight, and and then it fades to black, which would lead you to believe that they're not going to have sex scenes in this film on screen, but oh they do, oh yeah, I mean that that is. Uh, the, the impression that I got was that was Conan losing his virginity at that point. He's supposed to be, what, 26 in this so. or something, was it? Yeah, something like 25 or 26, yeah. Yeah. No way. <laughs> so that's Conan losing his virginity, and there are two things he definitely has a taste for for the rest of this film. One of them is killing people, and one of them is long, uncomfortable sex scenes with <laughs> <laughs> with, with different types of women. One of which is basically a demon or uh, some kind of witch thing, I guess. I don't know what she is. Yeah, my note from that one is she's a demon in the sack. Nice. Hyphen, she's hot. Because while they are mid-coitus, she starts like doing all these weird chants and saying all these like weird phrases and all those kind of things. She grows huge teeth. It was like something out of um, like Night of the Demons or something like that, where she grow- she becomes like this, or almost like a uh, uh, an evil dead sort of demon, right? Mm. And he throws her into the fire to get rid of her. And then just stays there for the night. Yeah, because she turns into like a ball of energy and flies off into the mountains or something like that. And yeah. he sort of like pops his head out, watches, watches her go, and then he's, oh, okay, that's fair enough and just spends the rest of the night in her hut. This is my house now. Squatter's right. <laughs> we have actually skipped something. Go on. 
he's freed by a guy who looks exactly like that ginger guy from uh, Game of Thrones. Okay, uh, yeah. With the big I don't know what his name is. Yeah, the, the guy who's in all the memes. But he's freed at the point where he's got more freedom than he's ever had and he's basically a celebrity and he's enjoying it he's been in captivity for 10 years and the guy chooses to free him when he's never had it so good (laughs) it's really strange i thought the point where um the ginger man on the horse comes and uh and and quote-unquote frees conan do you mean from the wheel of pain is it that part that you're talking about where he basically cuts Oh, is he on the wheel of pain when he frees him? Well, when he basically can leave his imprisonment and go on his mission. All right, got it. No, I'm getting it the wrong way. So, uh, yeah, because the guy with the red head, he first of all, he basically buys Conan, doesn't he? And he frees him from the wheel of pain, but then immediately takes him to be a gladiator. So he's yeah. uh, that. that's where he ultimately sort of earns his freedom. Very much in a, uh, a you know, a Marcus Deridius Morbus, whatever his name is, out of Gladiator. Yeah, Marcus, old, old Marcus... Uh, yeah, Marcus Brigstock. Yeah, that guy. You know, the father of a murdered wife, husband of a murdered son. It's that sort of thing where he he is such a good gladiator that he ultimately earns his freedom. And I think there's that's where we ha- we also have the scene where I guess the slave master is asking the the gladiators what is best in life, and mm-hmm. one of them says something random like it's the the sky and the moon and something about the step. Y- yeah, like the step, whatever that. I don't know. Sitting on the timeout step. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I love. And then, he, and then, the, and then the slave master like, no, it's not that. Conan, what is best in life? And that's where we get the amazing to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of their women. And it's such a great line, and I don't know, I love it. Yeah, um, when he's squatting at the at the witch's hut, hmm. he gets up to leave in the morning and meets a random guy who's been chained to the wall by. His enemies, I guess. Yeah. And left for the wolves. And this guy, I can't remember what his name actually is. So, but I was calling him Sabutio all the way through it. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go with Sabutio. Conan frees him after they have a, a one of those kind of weird interactions where they're insulting each other, but then they laugh, laughing off. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, they're best friends, and they're kind of like hanging out, and they're having a god off. Yeah. Sabutio uh, worships the four winds. Yep. And uh, Conan's a, a crumb stan. Yep. All the way. And they're just having a theology off while eating roast chicken, which yeah. was, yeah, nice little scene. That's it. It's all like, my God's better than your God, wasn't it? Yeah, my God can beat your God up. <laughs> yeah, and Sabirio's like, yeah, but your God lives under my God because my God is the sky, basically. Yeah. And this is the point where if you were at school, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but my, my God, my God, uh, my God's in space. They didn't know what space was back then. It's where Elon Musk is going to end up dead. (laughs) (laughs) Depending. Choking to death in his car. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. I mean, depending on when listeners are uh, listening to this episode, he may already be up there dead. (laughs) To uh, Elon's family, if you are listening to this episode. In your time of grief. So why is it... Uh, I've had this issue with the, uh, one or two of the, the other films that we've watched where quite a few times through this, for big long periods, I completely forgot that I was supposed to be watching this for the purposes of actually <laughs> talking about it on the, the podcast after. So I, there's big gaps in my notes where I completely forgot what was going on. So how is it that... Um, that why did they join up and become partners? And how is it that they then 
got to the point where they meet up with Valeria uh, to actually try and infiltrate the fortress then? Okay, um, they became partners just because they were nearby each other and didn't hate each other, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think they had a common goal because Sabutio doesn't care about taking down... What's his name? Falsadum. I get confused now because apparently he's more based on Thoth Amon from the books. Okay. But yeah, I don't think there's any particular reason they do that. They just happen to be walking in the same direction, maybe. Mm. Um, They both go to, I guess, the nearest settlement, which is this kind of bazaar in the desert where... I I didn't rewatch this, so I'm loath to say that this is what happens, and it also might reveal more about me than about anything else. Go on. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure there's a moment where Conan points and laughs at a man having sex with an alpaca. <laughs> I didn't think he was having sex with the alpaca. I just thought he was pointing and laughing at the alpaca. But then there was a very specific subtitle that said, Man Moans. <laughs> Well, whatever it is, it's so distracting that it makes Conan walk into a camel and then punches it. Yep, it's our second Arnold punching an animal in the face. Yeah, remind uh, listeners, what was the first? Well, it was in Jingle All The Way when he punched the Christmas giraffe. <laughs> so the you've, you've got them at this bazaar, uh, so Conan and Sabutio... And they're about to break into uh, break into like this 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 temple there, right? Which is all like sort of... yeah, it's like a snake tower. And uh, and they they bump into a a woman who they at first think is is going to be a guard, but it turns out so this is Valeria, um, who becomes a yeah, a big part of the film. And they think that she's going to be a guard, but it turns out that she's just another thief who's doing exactly the same thing that they're doing, trying to break into, I guess you know, steal stuff at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. uh, so this is the point where the three of them really become the trio that sticks in through the uh, the majority of the film, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm still not entirely sure of the reasons, and I'm sure this is just an oversight on my part, why Conan is trying to steal a gem. He's stealing it from like a chamber with a huge snake in it, mm-hmm. where a woman's going to be sacrificed, and there's all this chanting going on, there's like a cult. Is it just the cult of doom? Is that what it's called? It's something like that, isn't it? Yeah, I, d- I don't remember. So he doesn't necessarily. I think at this point he isn't really necessarily clear on what his mission is. I think he's quite broadly speaking, he's he wants revenge. You know, he's found his father's sword at this point, right? Right? We've had that. Yeah, completely forgot about that. He finds his father's sword uh, in in a cave, and like there's a skeleton on the throne holding the sword. Yeah, purely by chance because he's trying to escape a. Uh, and like I say, after he's freed from what is objectively a better life, albeit not a free one. He's freed to be on his own, to die in the desert, yep. chased by a pack of wild dogs, and he tries to hide on top of this like mound of rocks, Yeah, these these boulders, accidentally falls through them and, and, and ends up, it turns out, it's a tomb, isn't it, really? Mm. And this is where he finds what appears to be the skeletal remains, and I think what Conan believes is the skeletal remains of Thulsa Doom, because, yeah, it's what I thought as well. Yeah, exactly, because he's got his uh, his father's sword, he's got all of the, uh, the the gear on. So that's really where he's got that. And I think that is his kind of, what reminds him really that, you know, he's got his father's sword back, he's going to go on this revenge mission. But other than that, he's kind of like lost really, isn't he? He's, uh, and so when he ultimately he does find himself with Sabutio, with Valeria, trying to break into this place, he's just there to steal really at the end of the day. And mm. when he's down there, he, he gets the, the what was it called? The Eye of the Snake? Is that the name of the, the gem, the big red 
didn't pay attention Ruby. enough to know that. Yeah. It, it was something like that. It glinted suspiciously, as I don't know. And he wants that just because it's like this big gem. That's all it is. And it's not until then that he turns around to leave, and then he sees the emblem of Thulsa Doom, which is... Oh, do you mean uh, Mumra's symbol from Thundercats? It is Mumra's symbol from Thundercats. You pointed that out. Because that's one thing he's mentioning to, the, uh, to the, the demon woman earlier, that he's looking for this person. He's looking for this cult, really. And he mentions about it's a symbol, perhaps on a standard or a shield. And he says, you know, two snakes together facing each other. And so when he's getting ready to leave the place with the where he's stolen the jewel from and where Sabutio's got all this this other um, gems and stuff from, he sees that emblem and he realises like where he is and that he's on the right path. And then he's immediately attacked by a giant snake. Yeah. Its head is bigger than his head. Yes. That's how big this snake is. He immediately stabs it under the head. Yeah. Through the head from under its mouth. And then Sabutio fires three arrows into its head mm-hmm. and then he cuts its head off. I mean, I know a snake is, other than its tail... It is just a head. So, you know, there's not much else to go for. Is that what a snake is? Just a head and a tail? Yep. So when they when they get out, finally, when they, you know, they, they kill the snake, they manage to get uh, get out. While all this is going on as well, you've got upstairs, um, you've got Valeria joining in with a, like a seance sort of thing going on, where it looks like they're yeah. going to try and sacrifice a virgin, I guess, to the snake, not knowing that the snake is now dead. There's a scene just like this in the film Dragnet, <laughs> which, um... <laughs> and this is the point where we we see a couple of um, like Thulsa Doom's henchmen at this point as well. The guy with the big hammer and the guy who looks a bit like Lemmy out of Motorhead. Yeah, they all look like they're in a band. So they escape and they're so pumped up by the end of this. Spootio, he he goes off, uh, he finds off a woman. And then this is where Cohen and Valeria hook up for another uncomfortably long, unnecessary sex scene. I also realise that at this point, Valeria is kind of Conan's manic pixie dream girl yes the three of them i don't even remember how they come across max von Sydow. they just all end up in his chamber so like the acting improves by about 600 <laughs> percent, and max is basically saying look my daughter's been taken in by this cult and i think maybe this is the point where conan finds out that false still around yeah he says yeah she's uh she's kind of been brainwashed and i can't do anything to bring her back i need you guys to rescue her so we're 55 minutes in and we finally have an objective yeah which is quite good you think we're being set up for this big rescue mission and that's when conan just does one mm-hmm. <laughs> they're all up for it they're all up for like rescuing this brainwashed girl and he's like well that's not gonna help me <laughs> But it is, because they're rescuing her from the guy who he wants to kill, right? And, that, and that's, that's, that's where he's going anyway. And that's He just doesn't ulti- want to do the whole job. That's ultimately what happens as well. So is this him, you know, is this his hero journey, refusing the call? Is that what... Well, it's like refusing the call, but it's like, it's a very specific refusing the call, because it's him saying, you give me all this information, I'm going to do everything except bring your daughter back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna kill the guy who's uh, who's got your daughter in in a in a brainwashed state. But I'll just leave her there. <laughs> if he's after riches from you know getting the gem, then it also it doesn't make sense that he would turn down an offer like I don't actually remember what they were offered. Uh, well, it was loaded like these like red rubies, wasn't it? But uh, oh yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But again, I think at that point, a couple of things. One, he's got that massive ruby, that Eye of the Snake or whatever it is, which I think he ultimately gifts to Valeria anyway. 
Maxman Sidow's character he is giving all these like tiny little red rubies. He's got you know hundreds of them, and he even mentions he's got so many. But he says something about even like gold loses its shine or something like that at a certain point. Because as far as Maxman Sidow is concerned, his character he has lost his daughter, the most valuable thing, so everything else doesn't matter. So he's giving away these gems, these rubies, and everything like that, which Sabutio and Valeria are obsessed about. But at that point. Uh, Conan, he doesn't care about the rubies anymore yeah. because he's just found out in that moment. Because I said a, a few minutes ago that he was on a revenge mission. He wasn't. He wasn't a revenge mission because he thought Tulsa Doom was dead. He thought he, he thought he'd found his uh, his body. But it was only when he found the uh, the emblem again, when he was looking for that, he wanted to find out more. And it's only in this moment, I think, this conversation with Max Masidal. It's had it confirmed that, oh yeah, you still have a job to do, basically. Yeah, it's like, not only does the cult still exist, but the man who killed your mother exists. So even though, like we said, Sabutio and, and, and Valeria are obsessed by these rubies, Conan doesn't care. He just wants, he's got tunnel vision now. He just wants to go off and get revenge. This is the point where he meets uh, Mako Mako. Mm-hmm. I don't know the character's name. He's just called the wizard. And he's on the beach near some standing stones. That It's a really weird... It reminded me of Return to Oz, where he's found this this area where it's all stones and skeletons, yeah, including yeah. a skeleton of a man riding a skeleton of a horse. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is incredible as a concept. They're almost like scarecrows, I think, aren't they? They're like talismans or something. They come back to that point later on, don't they? And they actually use them in one of the final scenes of the film. I don't actually have any notes to do with the wizard, other than he's basically Snarf. Uh <laughs> He's Snarf, he's Orko, he's, he's every comic relief character in every 80s cartoon. Or even you could look at him as, uh, you know, if we go back to the End of Days episode, uh, Father Kovac, it's that character who is in there to provide some kind of explanation to our hero, but ultimately providing exposition for us as the audience. Which is weird, because I didn't write any of the exposition down. Ultimately, the scene ends really with Conan riding off with flowers in his hand, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think Mako asks him, the wizard says, you know, where, where are you going with the flowers? And he's like, I've got them for a girl, or something like that, he says. Okay, so that's why he is going for Valeria then. That, well, that was how I read it. And then by the time, I don't know how long he's supposed to have been gone for, but either he arrives back at the camp or whatever it is, or wherever he ends up going, everyone is gone. Sabutio's not there, Valeria's not there. And all this, like, these cult members, the, they all look sort of like priests. They, they do look, and I think you mentioned it when we watched it, a little bit like the KKK. They've got these sort of pointy yeah. hoods and robes and everything like that, haven't they? Yeah, it probably could have done with another pass on the visuals. It wasn't a great look. But then maybe that, you know, it, it was sort of shorthand to say these... Bad guys. The bad guys, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I wasn't entirely sure who they were, though, at first, because it, it looked like they could have been, like, missionaries coming in or something to, yeah. to give food to the village or something. But I think they were just recruiting... Yeah, in the same way that with a lot of cults, they have like the emissaries, I'm pronouncing that wrong, emissaries, who will go out to local communities and stuff and uh, and try and like recruit people in there. And it's, yeah, it's easy to miss like who they're supposed to be, but if you look really carefully around like the edge of their hoods and their robes, they've got little snake-like insignia. And there's one guy who Conan convinces, he says, I'm very shy and I need to speak to you around here, off in the distance behind a rock. Yeah, this was a like a really thinly veiled like this priest is a, like he's going to have his way with Conan. It seems to be this sort of like yeah, he says something like "Don't be ashamed of your body" or something like that. Exactly, yeah, and like Conan's you like recognizes this guy's basically a pervert. 
takes him around the corner and uh, and then kicks the shit out of him and steals uh, steals his robe. steals his clothes, which if it wasn't a robe would definitely have not fit him because <laughs> they are very different sized people. So Arnold dressed as the priest. He goes to, I think it's the temple from the end of the film, right? Yeah, it's the same it's temple. The, the, it's the, the temple, yeah. And he's with all the priests, and immediately, Full Sadoom just goes, One of you isn't, doesn't belong here, and just immediately points him out. Yeah, it doesn't last five minutes because he's a huge bodybuilder man. <laughs> it's got to be hard when you just can't be inconspicuous. People notice him that, what was the last film? Uh, end of Days. Yeah. He's in a crowd, immediately pointed out. Yeah. In this one, he's in a crowd, immediately pointed out. It doesn't get pointed out in True Lies, though. No, because he's very clearly a French aristocrat, or whatever it was he was <laughs> pretending to be at the beginning. So False Doom makes an example of him. He demonstrates his power. He, he says something like, um, st- I think it's steel, isn't it? He's saying, you think there's power in steel, but this is real power. And then tells one of his cults, come to me. And she's on top of a cliff. Yeah. And she just walks off and dies. Yeah. He's, he's like, that's power. Yeah, he's basically telling like Conan everything he's been told, everything like everything his father told, and everything that he knows is wrong. Like steel isn't strong; it's as flesh is strong. People are strong, and uh, and, and yeah, you can like trust everybody. <laughs> and you can trust everybody. Let me demonstrate trust. Come to me, and then <laughs> psych. <laughs> oh my god, that would be the best moment in that film. And I think this is just a case of like I'm done with you now. He crucifies Conan? Yeah, proper crucifies him as well, like hands and feet nailed through. Yeah, and he's been eaten by vultures. But he gets his own back immediately, right? Immediately bites a vulture and kills it. Which is incredible! Obviously the one he bit wasn't, but there were real vultures and he was a real person within like a foot of them. What did they do? Like staple some like ham to him or something like that? I guess they're just trained vultures. I don't think they had to coax them in from the wild <laughs> oh I, I thought there might be like local vultures that were just in the area and he's like I just thought maybe, maybe they saw them flying around and they were I've got an idea I, I remember this crucifixion scene going on for a while right mm. it's just kind of like long shots of him I guess showing the passage of time he's up there for days right because he does actually die right yeah I think we we sort of get the point where Sabutio comes running out and it's unclear how Sabutio actually finds him right but he, uh, he sort of comes running through the haze and, uh, and manages to rescue him and then takes him back to both Valeria and the wizard, right? Yeah, they're all kind of hanging out now. There's a, a little coincidence there in terms of how three people or four people all meet twice in a huge landscape. It is a leap, but if we're going to start pulling on that thread, yeah, at some point you have to go, it's a fantasy film. I just don't buy the idea that a man can turn into a snake. Well, I was uh, looking into some of the special features on this one, and it turns out that with James Earl Jones being such a method actor, he actually (laughs) figured out a way to turn into a huge snake for this film. And he spent six months with hypnotists learning how to hypnotise people. Uh, He really goes the extra mile, doesn't he? So Conan is dead. He dies of his injuries, essentially. Because when they bring him back, he is unresponsive, right? Or he was certainly knocking on the door, right? He was he was on his way out. They bound him up, um, dressed his wounds, 
drew on his face with permanent marker and then it seemed like there was going to be and you know i think uh, the wizard like said some spells and stuff and then it was we'll see what happens is either going to make it or not and that's where you had that scene where the the spirits appear to turn up and valeria's trying to fight them away and Mm -hmm. conan's like levitating at that point and i think that was where they were coming to take him away and that that was him dying essentially yeah that's as close as he got to actual irreversible death yeah i guess i mean Death is irreversible, but you know. But he does recover. It's not even groggy. What's going on? Time for some eggs. He's a new man. He's had an amazing 48 hours sleep. He gets up, does a little bit of sword catter or something like that. And this time, they do decide to go and rescue Ming's daughter. Mm-hmm. I seem to remember the next scene is kind of preceded by uh, Valeria saying something like, so we're going to go and rescue this girl then, yeah? Yeah, Conan? Yeah? And he's just like, silently staring out yeah they're hoping like uh you know he's he sort of died went away came back to life with a conscience that he is now going to do this thing but he does still seem to be transfixed on the idea of getting his revenge right pretty much i mean you, you would be wouldn't you well especially you know now that he's tried killing you <laughs> but full now left him for dead essentially they go to the temple and the cave underneath the temple first, mm-hmm. which is all like lit up in bright red, so you know it's bad. Yeah. And the you pointed out that there was like body parts just hanging like meat. Yeah, yeah, it was like a, like a slaughterhouse. It was like the scene out of Rocky. Well, I know, I, let me guess, you've not seen Rocky, right? I've seen all of the Rockies, yeah. So the scene where he's punching the meat in the freezer room, so it, it's like, but it's human bodies all strung up like in a slaughterhouse. Yeah, and I think they're all armoured up at this point, right? They're all got, yeah, like, they're all armed up. They've got uh, body paint on, like camo effect. And they're sort of infiltrating, essentially, Thulsa Doom's like harem. Is that the word? Harem? Yeah, like the harem, yeah. Where the harem, where he's, that's uh, it. his. Uh, concubines are down in the uh, in the basement because they're following some guys carrying like a big vat or like a cauldron type mm-hmm. thing on some sticks which is full of green milk it turns out to be like a snake soup so when they actually bring that cauldron in and they prop it down then you've got the big it reminded me of uh, master blaster out of mad max 3 that you got yeah. the, a big guy there who then starts stirring it and one of the, the i guess the concubines one of the orgy women she walks up with a bowl he serves a nice big ladle of this uh, soup up and mm. then she pulls like a snake's head out of it and starts eating it. Right, I, I saw that there was something in it, but I didn't get what it was. Yeah, it was a really cheap rubber snake's head. Their attitude towards snakes are really strange in this film, right? Because <laughs> when Thulsa Doom has got Conan in Conan in captivity, Conan. he basically Conan he points out that his mate, I can't remember, his like henchman is angry because you killed his snake, meaning the the giant snake in the room with the ruby. But then they also serve snakes to eat, Mm -hmm. but also James Earl Jones is a snake. So he calls the first one his pet. They're a pet, they're food, and they are characters. What were your thoughts about Thulsidim's transformation into a snake? Well, he didn't look very much like James Earl Jones when he started to transform. And it was kind of pointless as well, because he turned into a snake and then went into a hole... And then next time we see him as a human again. So it's like, oh, they just did that just to show that that's what he can do. Yeah, I I was definitely expecting... I I think I'd forgotten what happened at this point in the film from the last time I saw it, however many years ago it was. Is this now going to be he will come back and there'll be Conan fighting him as a bigger snake, a worse snake? Uh, No. 
That was it. Like you say, he just disappeared into a hole that was gone. It was like, the scene reminded me a little bit of like the transformation scene from American Werewolf in London or A Company of Wolves and all this kind of stuff. It was that sort of like, we have the technology. We can yeah. transform him into a snake. Uh, it, it was the early 80s. What are you going to do? The effects still weren't such a big deal then. And also, if you think about it, the that transformation scene into a snake, if they'd have kept that out, it would have been really ambiguous as to whether or not he actually had powers or not, or yeah. whether he was whether just, it was just like a Jim Jones or something. Yeah, he's like a super charismatic guy where he could have convinced people to drop their swords and let him cut their heads off. And, and I think that that might have been better if they'd have left that out and had it really unclear. Like, was he actually, you know, supernatural in some kind of way, or was he ultimately was the legend? And the and the mythos surrounding him really doing all the work. Yeah, because at one point Valeria says they say he's a thousand years old, hmm. and that may well be true. But it's kind of the point of it. Surely, is there's enough rumors going around that he could be anything. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think the uh, the transformation scene needed to be in there. I think if anything, taken out would have improved it a little bit. For me, that's one hmm. of the low points. That one of the rare low points of the film, really. Yeah, it just felt like they were sticking it in there just to have it justified as fantasy. Now I think about it as well. I wonder. I know in previous episodes we've touched on the effect and the influence of the test audience. Now I don't know if Hollywood is really using test audiences to any great degree at this point because obviously James Earl Jones he didn't have to actually be there on set for this to happen all we saw was some hands disappearing into a room he was there when they superimposed snake eyes onto his face right but he was also not moving so it could quite easily have been a latex mask of him on someone else <laughs> so I do wonder if uh, maybe when they the first I don't know, if there was a test audience involved and they first showed this film to the audience if there was confusion like was he a sorcerer was he a thousand years old was he a monster and then maybe afterwards they went in and went okay well let's put this random scene. even though the rest of the film was already short and he is not a snake in the rest of the film we're going to yeah. have him make his slippery slithery escape I guess they have to have him escape without Conan seeing that he's escaped. Mm. And maybe him escaping as a snake would mean that Conan wouldn't recognise him and wouldn't go after him. Yeah. Because the only reason Conan's there is to kill this guy. Yeah, that's true. And if he's not there... But they do rescue Max von Sydow's daughter, who is fully on board with the snake cult. Oh yeah, she's she's drinking the Kool-Aid and everything. And, well, you know, she's drinking the green snake Kool-Aid... Yeah, she's like giving him all kinds of abuse and hisses at Valeria at <laughs> yeah, one point. Yeah, I think so, yeah. This is the thing that you pointed out and it felt like we were going to have a Valeria death coming up very shortly yep. because Conan and Sabutio grab this girl. I don't even know this character's name, but they grab her and get out of there. And Valeria's just left to deal with all the guards and stuff. Yeah, because she's right behind them at one point, but then she she's she's getting caught up, or a, a guard jumps down, and she has to like tackle one or two of them. But they're gone; they're not they're not looking back at all. And that means that increasingly, as they manage to make their escape, she has to deal with more and more of these people. And yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. It looks like at one point she is going to bite the dust, essentially. And she does, but. About two minutes later, when they've all escaped and they're all on horses, having successfully fulfilled the mission, James Earl Jones does the best thing that I've ever seen. He straightens out a snake, puts it in a bow and arrow, but in a bow, fires it and hits Valeria and mortally wounds her. 
Valeria's death is very drawn out, very protracted. It's like Yoda dying in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> it's like, get, get on with it. <laughs> well, she's basically confessing that she loves Conan. Yeah. I think she says, I want my last breath to go into your mouth. I think oh, she says God, at one I point. Missed, I miss that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if... I'm not kink-shaming, but I'll be honest, I don't think that that's a particularly sexy way to go. That's something that really you need to have a conversation about before that time. (laughs) Informed consent, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like... (laughs) Right in that moment to say, I want to do this, that creates a pressure that is just not fair. But the thing is, she doesn't do it anyway because she says that and then she's like got her mouth right up against his and she's all over his face and then like leans back and says about five more sentences while she's dying. <laughs> Come on, you're taking the piss right now. That's it, Conan's checking his watch. <laughs> <laughs> How long's left of this film? <laughs> that doesn't really factor into Conan's motivation or anything at this point. He's upset, but he's like... Uh, the the burner body, this isn't a kind of a, right, now I'm going to take him down because he's killed another one. No, no, I think he was it was just like another task for him to kind of take care of. So they give her like a, the, the, you know, the Viking, they put her on the funeral pyre, they send her off in flames. And this is where uh, Thulsa Doom comes back, right? Because at this point, they've got the princess sort of like chained up to a rock because she's still at this point yeah, against them. Her, like, like she does, sweat, sweat the brainstorming out. Yeah, she does not want to be rescued at all. She wants to go back to Thulsa Doom and go back to his cult. And this is where Thulsa turns up, decides that he's you know, if he can't have her nobody can have her. So he does the old snake trick again, doesn't he? He straightens out the snake goes to shoot her and I thought mm-hmm. Sabutio was going to bite it, bite it at this point. He does a dive in front. Yeah, exactly. But he manages to intercept the snake with his shield this time, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And I think that is what sort of breaks the spell a little bit for the princess because she's like, you son of a bitch, you know, I, I wanted to come back to you. But that really kind of highlights that it's not necessarily a spell so much as she just likes the guy. It's like it's charisma. She can consciously decide. He's killed a lot of people, but this... Trying to kill me? Yeah. <laughs> That's not on it. <laughs> the setting traps around that time when she's chained to the to the uh, mm. rock. He does fire the, the snake right at the end of the battle when he's the last one left. Got it, right. I was getting mixed up by that. I thought the, um, not really the final, I guess I suppose it was the final fight, wasn't it? Where, yeah. you know, it's the, it's the second to last level. It's the penultimate boss level of, yeah. um, of the game, right? Where you've got to go through... This is where, like, Thulsa Doom's, like, all of his bikers, all of the, the bosses from levels 1, 2, 3, and 4 all come back in sequence. Yeah. It's like the, the, the Streets of Rage moment, isn't it, where you've got to face the all the bosses that you faced on the previous levels. You, you've absolutely nailed it. And I thought it was great. It was, like, it was delightfully bloody in terms oh, of, God, uh, yeah. like, the, the squib action and blood spraying everywhere. I thought it was amazing. This is a strange thing to say, but some of the best blood work I've ever seen. You felt every slice and every punch and every gouging, you know. And again, there's something to be said for... I mean, I know they remade Conan, right? They uh, Or they, they rebooted it with Jason Momoa. That's right. I think it was 2011. And uh, I've not seen it, to be fair, but I can imagine that it would have, a uh, again, more like the CG blood effects. And it just doesn't look as good. It doesn't have the wetness and the viscosity to uh to to, <laughs> to, to to it's just yeah i don't know it i think it's stuff like that that really takes me back to being like a young lad of i guess maybe like 
10 or 11 or something when I was watching these films for the first time and just being so excited and then mm. drawing these scenes the next day in my exercise book at school and, <laughs> and then the teachers like phoning up my parents to find out why I was doing these things. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I've got much more to say about it other than that it's just a great scene. It's almost like Conan Sabutio doing uh, Home Alone to some degree as well because I've set all these little... Yeah, traps. That was one of my notes. Was it's like Home Alone. <laughs> there is a point as well where Conan's about to be killed by one of the henchmen. Yeah, who then dies out of nowhere, and it's a guy who's been stabbed by the ghost of Valeria. <laughs> yeah, and so she comes back and she's wearing like disco ball armor or something. She's like, <laughs> she's... she's all shiny and. <laughs> It's amazing. I get again second low point of the uh, the film for me. So you've got James Earl Jones turning into a snake for no reason, and uh, and then Valeria coming back in. I guess she's kind of looking a little bit like a Valkyrie or something, isn't she? Like, well, that's why the entire way through, I've been thinking, I've been nearly calling her Valkyrie all the way through this thing. Even Cohen looks like really confused, and then she's gone. Was the point of it that she was presented as a thief? But in like in the afterlife, it's like, oh no, she was actually something else. She was just slumming it. Because why else would you be in full armor in a kind of an apparition with like light bouncing off you if you weren't worthy? Yeah, something? that that makes sense, really. You know, almost it, it almost seems like um, you know, it, it, maybe in another version of this film, she was a little bit like Valkyrie in the uh, in in the Thor film in Thor Ragnarok, mm. right? She's like the last surviving member of this like war tribe essentially and yeah. she's fallen from glory and all these kind of things so now valeria is now just existing as a thief and then when she has her hero's death rescuing this one she then transcends to uh valhalla or sort of thing so she becomes her final form maybe it's right. that but if that is what they were setting up i, I didn't get it yeah, it was it was a mistake to have done that, I think. But uh, I guess at least, you know, she got another line, so she probably got an extra bit of money. So we're pretty much wrapping up. So we've got Conan and Sabutio. Do they both head off to the temple? I can't remember if, if Conan goes. goes, but then the brainwashed daughter goes with him. And it wasn't clear at that point whether she was going as a, an ally or whether he could even see that she was there and she was tracking him hmm. to betray him when he got there or something like that. It was really unclear because she was moving proper like sneaky wasn't she as well she was yeah. like yeah and like not with him she was around him mm. but yeah as it turns out she was just kind of there to watch because conan goes to the temple like through the back yeah just appears at the top of the steps where thorsa doom is giving a big old speech and kind of confronts him and i realized that it was the second time in two years that james old jones has basically said i am your father to the lead character in the film <laughs> But with a very different outcome here. It, it almost looks for a second like uh, Full Sadumi tries using his snake hypnosis again, doesn't he? And it looks like either Conan is slightly taken by it, or at least is pretending to be taken by it. But then within like seconds, he's straight away like, nope. And then he comes yeah. for what is one of the best beheading scenes that I've seen. Oh, it's really good. <laughs> it felt like what a beheading would probably be like, as in not quick brutal and like final there's no glamour to it it was just you don't often see that again the whole visceral element of this film uh and the head rolls down the steps and all his disciples just immediately just douse the torches in in a pool 
and just walk away. And I was expecting at this point, if you kill the snake priest, you become the snake priest in their eyes. So they, I was expecting they would all go down on their knees and be like, you know, King Conan. Or right. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. They all go, well, that's that's our night finished a bit earlier. Um... <laughs> it's like when the night the, the lights come on in the nightclub at 2am. Yeah. And everyone's just like, oh, uh, oh, reality's hit now. Like all thinking about getting a kebab and how they're going to get out. <laughs> But then there's like there's no more dialogue. It's just a really long like there's a lot of fades and it's almost like a mini but very slow moving montage yeah. from this point on of just like how the next like maybe half hour passes of Conan just silently contemplating what he's gonna do with the rest of his life, I guess. He's gonna start by gotta assume he's gonna go and have sex with the daughter. Yeah. I mean that's that'd be pretty much on brand for him at this point, wouldn't it? Carrying her in his arms. Yeah, and that's I think that's it, isn't it? That's that's Conan the Barbarian. Shall we rate this thing? Let's do it. All right. So, if this is your first time listening to the show, we rate this film based on a binary rating system, where we say if we would recommend that you watch it, we will say do it now, or if we think that you should not bother watching this film, we will say put the cookie down and then we'll sort of follow it up with some explanation and justification as to why we think that way so jamie for conan the barbarian do you say do it now or put the cookie down i'm saying do it now unequivocally it's probably my favorite film that we've watched on this podcast so far oh wow that's high praise possibly including terminator and stay hungry which i am somehow a big fan of yeah it's it just felt big and it felt the slow pace suits the way I watch films now. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy a bit of sedate scene setting and like living in the world and being immersed in it and the sound and the, the visuals. Minimal story to some degree. There's some cheesy moments in there, but it's just so well made and it feels substantial. I've not even mentioned this, but Schwarzenegger's performance in this is really good. Yeah. <laughs> it, it feels influential as hell. And I kind of wish that it had more influence today Mm. as opposed to the Lord of the Rings kind of thing. I feel like cinema today could benefit from more films like this with the modern spin, I guess. But yeah, I'm absolutely, I'm made up with it. I loved it. Do it now. How about you? (laughs) Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Everything that you said as well. And again, when this came out of the Wheel of Pain last time, I was sort of cautious, a little bit optimistic. You know, I hadn't seen it for a long time. I was looking forward to watching it but I didn't really expect much. And I think I appreciated this much more as an adult than I ever did watching it as a, uh, as a, as a, as a boy or a young man. The, the scope of it, the scale of it, the respect that they, uh, that they treated the, this film with was pleasantly surprising. I expected it to be hammy and cheesy and campy, but they treated it with the same seriousness that, again, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, things like Lawrence of Arabia, Ben-Hur, Considering, as you mentioned, that pulpy source material that this came from, they didn't treat it like a pulp movie. They treated it like an epic fantasy film. So, yeah, everything you said, really. I think if you're a fan of Schwarzenegger, watch it. If you're a fan of fantasy, watch it. If you just want to see something a little bit different. And if you've been put off watching this because it's kind of like an old film and it's an early Schwarzenegger film, don't be put off. Watch it. It's really good. To your point, Jamie, his performance is great. And I think we saw that when we watched Stay Hungry. The fact that mm-hmm. given a chance, he could be good. You know, you give him the material, you give him the opportunity to perform. 
and it can do that. And so for for those of us who really grew up on the post Terminator stuff, where the rules he was getting was like the frankly the big dumb idiot for the most part, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yep. You know, cheesy one-liners. I think going back and watching Conan the Barbarian can be a little bit of a, a breath of fresh air for you. So from my point of view, definitely do it now. Excellent. All right, so the only thing left to do now then is to choose the film that we are watching next time. Imagine if we get Conan the Destroyer. Oh, that would be interesting. Uh, let's see. Okay, so let's spin the Wheel of Pain. The film that we are going to be watching and discussing in the next episode is... Red Heat. Okay, that's good. Um, It's been on Netflix for a while and I've been worried that it'll go before we (laughs) get it on the Wheel of Pain. So, all good. I know we'll talk about this uh, when we discuss the film in the next episode anyway, but a bit of spoilers ahead. Have you seen it? Uh, I've definitely seen it when I was younger, because I remember it was where I learned the concept of good cop, bad cop. Cool, yeah, I'm uh, I'm quietly optimistic again about uh, about this one. Quite looking forward to it, so that should be a good one. Yeah, it's got that Belushi quality. Yes, yes. Yes, it has. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's us pretty much done. If you want to get in touch, let us know your thoughts about this episode, about the film, or anything else. You can find us on the socials, on Twitter and Instagram, at PodActionHero. Other than that, I've been Gavin. I've been Jamie. And we will speak to you again next time.